We're in 2 Peter. We're going to be 2 Peter chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 16b through 18. Next week we finish 2 Peter. Some of you thought it will never happen. We're never going to get, I'm going to die while we're in 2 Peter, but we're, if you hang in there one more week, then you won't be in 2 Peter. But in 2 Peter 3, verse 16 and following, it says this. It says, he speaks in all of his letters on these matters, the Apostle Paul. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last Sunday afternoon, Sarah and I were in the Cascade Mountains of Washington hiking along a river called the Wenatchee River, and I had on my back our grandson, and it was wonderful. And as we went along, along this beautiful river, a broad river, at times a roaring river, we came to a place where there was a placid place where you looked like it would be a great place to go swimming, and there was a path that led down to it, so I walked down to it, and as I stood there, I noticed a memorial to my right, and on the memorial was a picture, was a picture of, of three young women, and then a statement below it that said, at this place in July of 2006, a church group was swimming, and two sisters went out too far, and the current started dragging them down the river, and the youth worker went out to rescue them. All three young women were swept down the river for one mile over rapids. One of them, one of the sisters, miraculously survived. The other two perished. Then it said this, we rejoice that we have a hope that we will meet again at the resurrection of the righteous when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Next line. Be very careful. Oftentimes, placid waters have life-threatening currents. And I thought of this passage where, where Peter says, be, be very careful that you do not listen to the air of lawless men and lose your secure position. That we are in warfare. We're fighting for the welfare of our souls. We're fighting for the welfare of the generations behind us. We're fighting to leave a legacy of faith and diligence and energy and passion. So be very careful. You see, the false teachers came in among them, and they secretly introduced destructive heresies even denying the reality of Christ, and their teaching was based upon a libertine, sensual approach to sexuality. And Peter says that because of their destructive teaching, their secret teaching, that many in the church would blaspheme the truth. And then he says here, be very careful that you don't fall into this error and lose your own firm footing or your stability. So, so I look at this, and I say, we believers can be carried away and lose our stability. Chapter 1 says that believers can become nearsighted and blind, and they can live in a way that they have really forgotten they've been cleansed from their sins. Chapter 1 says that we can lose our footing by not receiving a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is really heavy stuff. This is really weighty material. 
And so the first question I ask is, you know, what do we do? What do we do to not lose our firm footing and be swept into the current and down the rapids of destruction? Peter answers it. He says, but you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You grow. You, you grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And what I want to suggest this morning is, is, is that we grow by understanding we take ourselves and we, we plunge our bucket under the life-giving, fountain, energizing work of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God and say, God, teach me and lead me. For example, a few passages. John chapter 7, Jesus says, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. By this, the scripture says, he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. In other words, when Christ ascended into heaven, he then poured out the Holy Spirit on the church of Pentecost. And he says, once you receive the Holy Spirit, if any man is thirsty, come to me and drink. So my part is to say, Lord, I'm thirsty. I'm needy. I can't pull this off. And so I, I desperately need a touch of grace in my life. I desperately need this day for your kingdom come and your will to be done in my life today. Or Matthew chapter 11, Christ says, Come to me all you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm humble and gentle of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So, so my responsibility is to say, Lord, I'm weary. I need rest. My responsibility is, is to say, I will take your yoke upon me and I will learn from you. So I take my bucket and I plunge it under the Niagara of the fountain of grace. And I say, God, by your Holy Spirit, minister to me. That, that's growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So, so you see, study the Bible, praying, fellowship is not just a little add-on, little nice stuff we do because we're we're Christians. We're fighting for our welfare, fighting for our stability, fighting not to lose our footing in the race of life. Or, or think of Mark chapter 10, one of my favorite passages. Well, I've got a lot of favorite passages, but Mark chapter 10 is the story of blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus says this, they entered Jericho Christ was with his disciples, and a great crowd was there. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. Now listen, in this day of the New Testament, there was a belief that if you're blind, it's because you sinned or your parents sinned. There was no hearing and blind institute. There were no lessons on Braille there were no seen eye dogs. There were no preferential seats for those who had issues. It was a horrific existence. You were considered a parasite, an outsider, and someone who was experiencing the present-day judgment of God upon your life. You're a social outcast. And so here's blind Bartimaeus. It says, a blind beggar. One thing you do is beg. He was sitting by the roadside, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out in a loud voice saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, a term of great respect. 
worship. Have mercy on me. And those around him, it says, many rebuked him. Not just a couple. Many people. Just be quiet. You're a blind beggar. You're a nobody. How dare you interrupt this very important teacher with hundreds of people trying to hang upon every word he says. What did Bartimaeus do? He cried all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart. Get up, he's calling you, and throwing off his cloak, jumping up. He came to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So, so I'm, I'm like blind Bartimaeus. I, I open the Bible and I say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Unless you open the word by the Spirit and teach me, I'm not going to learn the way I should. Or, or, or prayer is not just a little exercise and meditation. It is communication with the living God by the power of the Spirit through the work of the mediator, Jesus. And, and, and I say, God, change me, teach me, mold me. And, and getting together with Christian friends and laughing and talking and, and discussing issues and being together is not just a good social thing to do, which is, it is, but it is fighting for my welfare, fighting for my stability, fighting for a place to stand. So you see, I take the bucket and I plunge it under the fountain of grace. Or James 4. James says, Submit yourselves to the Lord, resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. So my, my bucket, what I do is I, I say, Lord, I submit to you. I walk in obedience. And as I walk in obedience, I am resisting the devil. And as I draw near to you, you draw near to me. Because there's this relationship. And, and so I was thinking about this. And I was just jotting down some things. What way we resist the devil and draw near to God and submit to him. I just said, if I walk up and somebody's having an ungodly conversation, I walk away. Or somebody brings up something, I change the subject very quickly. See, that, that's submitting to the Lord. That's resisting the devil. Or if, if I go somewhere and I know I need to honor God with my money and I'm going to buy a $3,000 couch and I buy it and put it on layaway and pay interest, that I, this $3,000 couch, after I pay the interest rates for the next 15 years, is an $18,000 couch. Good math. And I say, I can't, I can't buy that because if I do that, I want to be able to have the freedom to be a person who gives to the Lord's work the way I want to with my limited income. Or I submit to the Lord by, by, by instead of listening to the unceasing drivel of talk radio. Listen, you tape the 30 minutes tomorrow of talk radio and play it again on Friday. They're saying the same thing. Instead of listening to that, I listen to a podcast about developing a Christian mind or thinking Christianly. That's resisting the devil. That's thinking Christianly. It, I resist the devil when, if I'm downcast or just grumpy, I don't stay there, but I sing a hymn of praise. and I think about a verse of God's power and grace and goodness. I submit to the Lord when I refuse to watch a show 
and of Mayberry rerun. We can't get any more innocuous than that. And instead, I soberly think through and pray for these dear people who were literally run down in Nice, France by a psychopath who was probably demonic. It just breaks your heart. I submit to the Lord when I, when I go to bed early enough to get up in the morning to groom myself in the way of the Lord and take my bucket and put it under the fountain of grace before I run out of the door. I submit to the Lord when I guard my diet and my energy and my wealth and my health and the way I live. See, there's a hundred applications, but see, my responsibility is to take the bucket and put it under the fountain of grace and say, God, feel it. Feel it. So I grow. I grow and the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. I, I grow. Now, let me just say this. It's kind of a... I was reading Mark, excuse me, the Gospel of Matthew this week. And I came to Matthew 17. I thought, this is interesting. Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James and John. And he's transfigured. And they have... They see Moses and Elijah come down, and they hear a voice saying, this is my beloved son, and listen to him. And they talk about the soon departure of Jesus, and so forth and so on. It was an incredible experience. Christ is transfigured, and he says, don't tell anybody about this right now. Wait till later. And they come down the mountain. And as they come down the mountain, there's a large group of people at the base of the mountain. This is what it says. A crowd had gathered, and a man came up to him, and kneeling before Jesus said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Verse 17, and Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus healed him. What's interesting here, that, I've never noticed that until I was really studying the, this week. He doesn't rebuke the nine disciples in this passage. He admonishes the crowd, the, the Jews who were worshipers of Jehovah God, who were heirs of the promises. He, he says, twisted and faithless generation. And what he, I think what he's saying potentially here is there is runaway demonic activity among you because you're not seeking and worshiping and serving God. You've released the barrier of protection because you haven't been the people God's called you to be. Now, so I stepped away from that and I said, God, show me, show us that our faithfulness today our passion today to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ builds a shield and a protection and a covering around us. And the church needs to be the church. The church needs to not worry about being trendy or with it. The church needs to speak with conviction and compassion and brokenness and tears and boldness. Never before in my lifetime has a church needed more to be the church of the resurrected, living, communicating Christ than today. And so I say to us, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And that's why I, for, for the next few Tuesday nights until September, I've called the church to prayer. And we've been kind of limping through this, but the, most people are back or getting back. So I, I 
there's power in group prayer. Tuesday night, 6.30, here. Where we, can, we just get together and we pray. And prayer is a delight and a joy and it's hard and it's a burden and it's tough and it's glorious. But, but be faithful unto the Lord. This is not a time to not be bold and gracious and compassionate and brokenhearted. It's a time to be God's people. So, so see, our responsibility is to grow. We take, again, we take our bucket and we put it under the fountain of grace. Like blind Bartimaeus, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. I'm broken. I'm weary. I need rest. I take your yoke. I'm, I'm, I'm doing these things because you've called me unto yourself. So the next section, why grow? Why grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ? Let me give you four reasons or so from 2 Peter. Number one, we grow because of the security and the joy and the happiness and laughter that will ring through our souls. We grow because there's no greater joy than to say that I belong unto the Lord forever and it's a salvation that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, 1 Peter 1. Do not run by the first couple of verses of this book where Peter writes, Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So, so Peter says, you have received a faith of equal standing just like that of the apostles. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Your faith is fixed and secure because it's based upon the righteousness of Christ, the completeness of Christ, the cross work of Jesus. And as you understand and glory in the cross work of Jesus, grace and peace will be multiplied in your lives. So, so I, I, want to, I want to grow and keep my firm footing because I want joy and laughter to ring in my, in my soul. Now, let me give you a historical footnote here. There was a man named John Wesley who was wonderfully used of the Lord. He died at the age of 91. Uh, faithful man. But John Wesley was born into a home. His mom and dad were, his dad was an Anglican preacher. The home was kind of a mixed bag. And a lot of kids were born. Uh, he goes to Oxford, confesses faith at a young age, goes to Oxford. And while he's at Oxford, he becomes part of a holy club that had been started by his brother Samuel. The holy, they call themselves the holy club because they got up early in the morning to pray. They would study the Bible for two hours every afternoon. They would fast one day a week, sometimes two days a week. They would go to prisons. They would take the Lord's Supper every week. They, they, they were methodical in what they did. Therefore, they were called Methodist and stuck Methodist. So John Wesley goes through Oxford seeking the Lord. Uh, does some ministry, feels called the ministry, eventually says, I would like to go to Georgia as a missionary. So he leaves to go to Georgia as a missionary. He's there for two years. He crashed and he burned. Had a terrible experience. Probably centered around a failed romantic relationship. But as he's going to Georgia, there's a great storm at the sea, at sea, and, and he's, he's the chaplain of the boat, but he's in his cabin screaming in terror, thinking he's going to perish. But there's a group on the boat called Moravians from Germany. They're going to the U.S. And they're singing hymns of praise to God, saying God is in control. God will guard us. God will guide us. And Wesley's blown away by their faith. 
goes to Georgia, has a bad experience, goes back, and he writes in his journal, I came to save the people of Georgia, but who will save me? Totally depressed. Gets back home, and he goes just a few weeks later on May the 24th, 1738. He's 35 years of age. He goes to a Bible study at a place called, that is addressed, it was on Aldersgate, Aldersgate Street. And he goes in, he sits in the back of the room, and a man stands up, and he opens the commentary to the book of Romans by Martin Luther, and he reads the preface. And he talks about how we're saved by faith alone through grace alone, by the work of Christ alone. And Wesley has a deep experience. And this is what he writes. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I trusted Christ alone for salvation and assurance was given me that he had taken away all of my sin, close quote. Now, people read that, and they say, Wesley came to know Christ at Aldersgate. And that's why every other Methodist church out here and, you know, in, in, in the countryside is named Aldersgate United Methodist Church. And, but let me, let me give you a different spin. And I'm not saying this is right, but there's a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones who wrote one of the ten best books I've ever read called Spiritual Depression. And Norah Jones says that his opinion is, in reading Wesley's journal, that Wesley knew Christ as a young man. He understood the gospel. But so what happened is Wesley got involved in being methodical and working out these issues and became so centered on his disciplines and what he was supposed to do that he assumed the gospel of grace. And if you don't operate continuously from the gospel of grace... And when you just assume the cross and you work, you start doing everything you've got to do, you lose your joy and your purpose and your drive and your happiness. If you want to be happy in the Lord and singing in the Lord, you always operate outside or out of the gospel. You always say, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. So, so, so he said Wesley had basically assumed justification and was working out sanctification. He said that's why he had this bad experience. And I would say, I think he may be right. There, there are many Christians I know that, that don't have, I think, the joy that we should have or the happiness or the singing or the laughter or the dancing because we don't stand up every day and say, I am what I am by the grace and the goodness and the glory and the mercy of the cross of Jesus. That's it. I belong to the Lord. And so if I'm going to grow, I've got to hear the glory of the gospel of Christ day after day. The second reason I should grow is that, that if I grow, I'll have the abiding joy of the assurance of salvation. This book is about, in part, being assured of our salvation. Peter says, make your calling and your election sure. He says, if you do these things, you'll never fall. He says, make your calling and your election sure. Have the assurance of your salvation. Know that you belong to the Lord. There are large segments of the Christian church, even evangelicals, who say you cannot know that you are truly saved. And I think that's wrong. I think the, the Bible screams out, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The Roman Catholic Church, their official position is no one can ever know they're truly a believer. If you ask a Roman Catholic who's truly versed in Roman Catholicism, is the Pope a Christian? They'll say, well, we think so. We hope so. I do too, but that's beside the point. You know, I believe we can know with certainty we belong to the Lord because 
The sign of my salvation is I desire to be pleasing unto the Lord. How do I show that I'm be pleasing to the Lord? I grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And I'm telling you, in my opinion, nothing is sweeter than to lay down at night and put your head upon the pillow and say, Lord, I belong to you. And if you take me tonight, I'll be in heaven. I belong to you. Or to quote Romans 8, 32, as you go to, go to sleep, he who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That, to me, that's incredibly, that's a blessing. Or think of, of Hebrews 13, where the writer writes this. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, the living God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's no fear. I belong to the Lord. I'm bulletproof until God takes me home. Therefore, I don't fear meteors falling out of the sky. I watched a movie yesterday called San Andreas with The Rock. It's really pretty bad. But, but you know, I don't fear earthquakes. I don't fear disease because I belong to the Lord. And he never, ever, ever will abandon us. There are people sitting here this morning who have tasted the bitter dregs of abandonment. There are people sitting here whose spouses walked out on them to go to someone else, abandoned. It's horrible. There are parents sitting here who have children who won't speak to them. And it's not because of sin, it's just because their kids have decided not to. Horrible. Most of us have had friends who abandoned us. Just walk, just up, and it hurts. But there's one who will never, ever, 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 ever abandon his people. And his name is Jesus. There's a hymn that goes like this. It says, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me and foes assail me, but he, my Savior, makes me whole. Friends are going to fail you. Foes are going to be against you. But he, my Savior, makes me whole. So I want, to, I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ so I can continually taste the assurance of my salvation. The third reason is because I want to live a life of productivity. So as I, as I come to him and as he fills me, I bring him to the fountain of grace. I want to live a life of productivity. Chapter 1 says that if you do these things, you will never fall to oblivion. If you do these things, you'll live a productive life. The things mean add your faith, goodness, and goodness, knowledge, and self-control, and perseverance, and godliness, and brotherly love. If you do these things, you'll never fall. Brotherly kindness and then love. So if you have the Holy Spirit, if you're truly a child of God, one of your heart's cries should be, Lord, I want to be productive and useful in your kingdom. I have one life and then I have eternity. So, so let me be productive and useful. Holy Spirit, teach me. Some of you are, who are young 
are not going to remember this. There was a time when the Atlanta Braves were really good in baseball. Now, it's been a few years ago, but there, there was a time when every year the Braves were either, either in the World Series or, or, or right there. And, and it was primarily because of these dudes, the three amigos, Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox, Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox, these, these, wire, these black glass, look like a CPA, no offense to CPA, but he's just, he's just not a, a brute of a guy, but what a, what a, what a pitching staff. So you're the general manager of the Atlanta Braves, and you, and you are told, we found the guy that's a combination of Maddox and Smoltz. He's 6'5", and he can put the baseball right there every time, and he throws a 98-mile-an-hour curve. And he's the man. And so you're the general manager. You fly him to Atlanta, and you bring him in. You say, we're getting ready to have the draft. We have the first draft pick. We're thinking about going for you. Why do you want to play for the Atlanta Braves? He says, well, I'll tell you why. My girlfriend lives in Alpharetta. He said, well, what else? He said, well, to be honest with you, the Atlanta Braves uniform brings out the blueness of my eyes. And that looked look really good on Sports Illustrated's cover. He said, well, tell me about your work ethic. Well, I, I don't like to work. I, I just kind of show up and I'm, you know, I'm just gifted and I just throw balls and I don't stretch, I don't lift weights. And I just kind of... Well, tell us about your teammates. Well, I don't, my, my teammates, I don't really like them because they don't appreciate me. I am a once-a-century talent, and they don't like me. You know what? I'm not going to sign that guy. I'm not going to sign him. I was in a fitness center the other day touring it, okay? I, I, you may find it hard. I was in a fitness center. But there was a big sign there saying, we're looking for eager and enthusiastic young people to be part of our team. I thought, I like that. Eager and enthusiastic. You interview these people. Say, say to a, a young college graduate, why do you want to be part of this, this movement, this, this team? Well, he says, I need a job. I've got to have some place to hang out nine to five. Mom, mom and dad told me I had to get out of the house. I said, well, is, is there, what do you think about fitness? He said, I, I think fitness is stupid. I think it's I think just silly. How about, what do you think about? He said, I, I don't know. I don't really care. I, I'm not going to, that, that, that didn't work. See, if you say you're a believer in Jesus, but you're just kind of hanging out and doing nothing, I'm going, man, check your temperature. Check your temperature. See, I want to grow in my faith. We should grow in our faith because we, we want to live lives that are productive and useful to the master. One life and it's over. Another reason we want to live productive lives is because we want to receive a rich welcome to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it says chapter 1. So there, there are believers who go to heaven and Luke 16 says the same thing. You're there. But the other people who go there who've lived lives of productivity and, and selflessness and care and compassion, and, and they've loved people and they've cared for people and, and they've lived out the life of Christ, and it says you receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is really cool. So, so that's, that's why grow. Now, very quickly, in six minutes, how do you grow? How do you grow? He answers it. You grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Now, the grace is a word that means attractiveness, winsomeness, favor. And I think the concept here is grace is being like Christ. The Lord wants to take our unique backgrounds and personalities and temperaments and, and intelligence level and 
drivenness or passions, and he wants to he wants to cut off the rough edges and to make us like Christ, who, who loved people and who was gracious and confident and bold and who wanted to honor the Father and who loved children and loved those who could not protect themselves and cared for the disenfranchised and, 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 and spoke with broken kindness and boldness to people. He wants us to be like Christ. And, and so I, I'm saying I grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Grace is becoming like Christ. Christ. I'm teachable. I'm gracious. I'm not self-oriented. I love other people. I don't go through life with a clenched fist and a cursing mouth. I go through life with kindness. I don't have a long memory and a short fuse. I have a long fuse and a short memory. I understand grace, and so I love people. I understand what Jesus said when he talked about the parable of a man who owed a king millions of dollars, and it was forgiven him, and the guy went out and found somebody that owed him 25 bucks, and he threatened to throw the guy in jail. And the king heard about it and said, pick up that scoundrel and put him in jail because he doesn't, he doesn't get it. I I, I want to be like Jesus because Jesus said, who's been forgiven much loves much. I want to be like Christ. In Vacation Bible School, we had this story that all of us have read if you've been in church very long and been a believer very long. It's about a guy named Zacchaeus who was a very small man. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And the story says that Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming and so he couldn't see over the crowd so he climbed up in a sycamore tree. Now, you've got to realize that, so why did Zacchaeus climb up in the sycamore tree when he was small? Well, yeah. Another reason he climbed up in the sycamore tree is he was a tax collector and everybody hated his guts. And if you're, you don't want to be in a crowd of Jews where there's anonymity and people can beat the stuffing out of you. True. He had no friends. He had nobody to friend on Facebook. He had nobody that came to his birthday party. He was an outcast and despised. He was wealthy, but he was an outcast. And so here's this tax collector that was despised in a tree. And Jesus comes by and looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus, come down. And says so he joyfully came down. And I thought, you know, what, what's going on here? And here's what I think is going on here. Zacchaeus, who was despised and rejected and lampooned, and hated, saw a winsomeness and a love flowing from the face of Jesus that blew his circuits. So he comes down, he confesses Jesus, and he starts giving things away. And Jesus laughs and says, salvation has come to this home today. And I thought, may people see joy and winsomeness and love from us to the most marginalized people. There was a man named Bonaventure who was head of the Franciscan order who died in 1274, the same year that Thomas Aquinas died. And shortly before his death, he wrote this in his journal. May my heart ever hunger after Christ 
and feed upon him whom the angels desire to look upon. And may my inmost soul be filled with the sweetness of your savor. May I ever thirst for you, the fountain of life, the fountain of wisdom and knowledge, the fountain of eternal life, the torrent of all pleasure. May they ever seek you and find you and run to you and come to you and meditate on you and speak of you and do all for the praise and glory of your name. I thought, wow. I want to pray that. The torrent of all pleasure. The fountain of life. Boom. The fountain of wisdom. The one in whom all things hold together. So we grow in the grace. And very quickly we grow in the knowledge. And knowledge is, knowledge is a key theme of Second Peter. But, but you, you grow as you're yoked under the Scripture. And you think the Scripture. And you read well. And you reason well. And you think well. And you grow in the grace and the knowledge. Of Jesus. Knowledge is, is preeminent in the Bible. Emotions are very important. But knowledge is preeminent. We have a purpose statement here that says, equipping people to pursue Jesus Christ passionately to impact the culture. Really, it's 2 Peter 3.18. Equipping people, knowledge, we need to think well, to pursue Jesus Christ passionately. That's the grace. Oh, I need you every hour. Equipping to pursue Christ passionately so that we can impact our culture and our neighborhoods and our families. In the marketplace. Brothers and sisters, fight on. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ so you do not lose your firm footing and forfeit your joy and forfeit your productivity and forfeit the privilege of being assured of who you are in Christ. Fight on. Look to the cross. Live out of the gospel of grace. Let's pray. Lord, for this uh, this. Day we thank you. We, we pray, Lord, as we uh, every week stand at a crossroads. Sometimes it's an obvious crossroads of jobs or marriages or the birthing of children or the marrying of children or the... Uh, but, but we're always at crossroads. And, and Lord, we desperately need you. Uh, we want to hear the words of Christ that said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble of heart. So, Lord, we want to take on your yoke. And we want to learn from you. We want to run to the Niagara Falls of the grace of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and live out the Christian faith. So we, we do that now. When we trust you, we believe you, we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. God bless.